This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. So today you're going to get to hear a really fun chat I had with Joe Ingram. And I actually found Joe by listening to another podcast, which I thoroughly enjoy, which is Don't Keep Your Day Job by Kathy Heller. So please make note of that because it is also a really good podcast. And I heard a snippet of Joe's story on that um, on an episode where she was talking about how she knew she wanted to leave her corporate job. It just took 15 years before she went out on her own and started her own business. And over the course of this conversation, there was so much more than just her journey from corporate executive to entrepreneur. You're going to hear the stories of her very difficult childbirth, uh, having her second two children, coming to terms with her divorce, moving on, so many topics that I think will resonate with women. And I got to tell you, Regardless of whether you're a mother, you know, I don't have children, but I mean, some of the things that Joe talks about just blew my mind. And every time I talk to a mother, I am just that much more amazed at the things that women can go through, get through, overcome, and thrive past. This podcast really, to me, has become case study after case study of what human resilience looks like. So with all that said, I'm super excited to jump into this episode. But before I do that, a couple things. One, I would really appreciate if you stop the podcast right now. Yes, right now. And go to whatever platform you listen to podcasts and leave a written review. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate every star that you give me. Love it. But I would also greatly appreciate a written review. It means a lot to the visibility of the podcast. And also, I just love getting to hear your or see your feedback. It means a lot to know what you get from the podcast. And the other thing I would love is if there is a podcast episode you want to hear, if there's a label you want broken, will you let me know that? You can Reach out to me on my personal Instagram, the link to which is in the show notes. You can email me, rosanna at breakinglabelspodcast.com, or you can even reach out to the podcast Instagram, which is breakinglabelspodcast. There's three different ways right there that you could let me know what episode you want to hear. What is a story of triumph, of perseverance, of resilience that you need to hear that you're going through in your life right now? And I will find it. Trust and believe, I will find it. So that's one. And then the last thing is, again, if you don't know, we have merch, Breaking Labels merch. So you can go on over to breakinglabelstore.com and check out the merch that we have there. There is a link to that in the show notes as well. Okay, with all of that said, let's get into this chat with Joe. I will introduce you into the audience and I actually heard you on another podcast, Kathy Heller's Don't Quit Your Day, or no, excuse me. Quit your day job. <laughs> no, don't, don't keep your day job. Don't keep your day job. That's what it is. And you were talking about an experience you had uh, giving birth to your daughter and how it made you rethink your corporate career, 
but you stayed in the corporate career for 15 years before you decided to start your own business and leave. And it immediately resonated. I don't think I even got through the episode before I messaged you actually on Instagram and was like, hello, I would like to talk to you. I have so many questions. But do you mind just for background for the audience of explaining, you know, what that was that you went through and and how it impacted you so, so strongly? Yeah, absolutely. It was in a way, one of those life-changing circumstances that many of us have in our lives, the sort that makes us reassess what we're doing, our meaning in the world, and really how we want to live for the rest of our lives. For me, it was when I gave birth to my eldest daughter, she's now 17, um, I was in labour and it didn't go to plan. Essentially, it led to a situation where I nearly died in childbirth through postpartum hemorrhage. Um, It was really shocking, really unexpected. It meant that I couldn't have children after that and went through a really traumatic experience at the time, um, having nearly lost my life, but also quite shocking stuff that I won't won't go into too much detail, but it was, you know, pretty traumatic stuff. It led me to have PTSD after that and had to go through a year of therapy um, as I was bringing up my baby daughter, who thank God was, you know, absolutely fine. She came through the experience without any problems. But it put me on a cascade of changes. Eight months after that circumstance, when my daughter was born, my then husband actually left me, which was a bit of a blow. <laughs> um, again, I wasn't expecting that. Um, many years later, I don't hold any ill will towards him whatsoever. He was on his own personal journey. And actually, it's a beautiful thing thing, retrospect because we can look back and say, thank goodness that happened because it wasn't a circumstance, a relationship that was meant to last. Although, you know, we jumped into marriage in our 20s and bought a house and had our baby. We weren't really made to be together long term, but I am a sort of person, and maybe this resonates, who once I make my bed, I lie in it. You know, Mm. I'm like, no, I have made a decision. I've made a commitment. I, you know, I really stay loyal to my own decisions, which would have meant that I would have clung on to that relationship well beyond its sell-by date, which is an interesting parallel to my career story, of course. Which I did hang on to well, well belong, well beyond itself, I date, you know, whereas my ex made the decision on both our behalves by, you know, by his actions. And I was simply sort of being tossed in the waves of, of what happened there. With my career, I did not take any proactive decision. And interestingly, in a great parallel, it wasn't until last year during COVID that I was actually laid off, actually drawing a line under that 20 year career, which I don't regret. Mm-hmm. I really did love that career in many parts of it, but I knew that it wasn't for me. Oh, okay. So, so many questions going back to the trauma of the birth. Um, was there anything that like, it sounds like it was a surprise, right? Like there wasn't any way to expect that that was going to happen. Was it a kind of like a standard pregnancy and excuse me if that's a very ignorant term to use because pregnancy is, seems like it's a lot of ups and downs. I've never had a child. Um, but did was that expected or did it kind of come out of nowhere? No, it absolutely came out of nowhere. I was 27 years old, healthy. No, sorry, I was 29. Actually, I got married at 27. But 
anyway, just details. And um, I was actually going to give birth in a, you know, water birth, birthing pool. It was all like, I wanted the natural birth. I definitely didn't want a cesarean. I definitely had high expectations for the natural way that the baby would be born, but it, it was, couldn't have been further away if it tried. But yeah, it came as a complete shock, really. It was actually a, a circumstance that could have been avoided, which was very difficult thing oh. for me to come to terms with. You know, there were a lot of, lot of things that happened on that day that meant I didn't really get the medical attention that I should have got, that would have in high likelihood have prevented the outcome being quite as serious as it was. So I had to go through quite a long journey after that to like reconcile who I thought I was, which was somebody who was in control, mm. who made my own decisions, who produced my own outcomes through my own hard work, taking responsibility and so on with the fact that sometimes meaningless things can come out of the blue in your life and throw all of that up into the air and make you wonder, well, can I really determine what happens to me if something like this can just blindside you? Mm -hmm. So that's why I basically um, fell into a period of time where I just did not know who I was anymore. I kind of didn't really understand what my place was and what I should be doing in the future. I, I feel like a lot of people go through that, maybe not in that exact circumstance, right? But especially people who are accustomed to, you know, if I work this this hard, if I do X and I make sure that to, to prepare for Y, then Z is going to happen. And like you said, sometimes you're going to be blindsided. Sometimes a wrench is just going to come out of the blue right into the middle of that that equation. And... I mean, for you, how long did it take to reconcile that? And how long did it take say, before you kind of had this like, okay, it, it, it kind of is what it is. There's nothing I did or didn't do. Yeah, I mean, look, it's an ongoing process, but I would say that the majority of that work was done in about two years. At the end of that two-year period, I actually met my now husband. I had gone back to work. And I was managing, I was a happy functioning single mom. And, you know, I had gone through a lot of that. I had thrown myself obsessively into the research to mm. understand what happened. So I actually took control okay. for myself. I decided that I was going to understand exactly what went wrong and why. Um, I became an expert on postpartum hemorrhage and its causes. I delved into medical journals, if I didn't understand what a word meant, I looked it up and I sat there for nights just doing this obsessively. And I think it was my way of understanding and coping and taking my control back. Yeah. And over that same period of time, like the second thing on my mind was how will I complete my family? And that also became a massive quest for me because as a result of what happened when my daughter was born, I'd had an emergency hysterectomy to basically save my life which is a massive blow, you know, as for a woman in their 20s yes. who certainly hasn't completed their family and, you know, didn't have a history of problems. There was no time to consider that this would ever be something that you would walk away from childbirth having gone through. So I knew my limitations physically, but I decided that that wasn't going to define my limitations with regard to the outcome. And at the time, surrogacy presented itself to me as exactly what I really wanted to do. Um, I had retained my ovaries. So the idea of doing IVF and having my own genetic child to be a sibling to my daughter 
was something that became more and more appealing. And part of that obsession, part of what I went through in that first two years was understanding how could I do this? How could someone who has no knowledge, no resources, no experience, get that, which seemed so far out of reality. I didn't know anybody that had ever done this, but I certainly made it my business to meet them and start to get closer to my goal, which I did. In fact, uh, seven years after my daughter was born, my twin daughters were born in California with the help of uh, surrogate. Um, and we flew oh, wow. from London to California to meet the girls. That's amazing. No, so why in California? Was it just that's where she happened to be and that's who you you felt called to 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 do this with or well international surrogacy comes about because surrogacy laws are different in every country and oh. opportunities for surrogacy differ. So in the UK, it certainly wasn't a very common thing that I started looking into it. Well, now 17 years ago, I was investigating this. Um, and even to this day in the UK, any child born via a surrogate is legally considered the surrogate and her partner's child until you get a court order to, to change that over. Oh. Um, that made me really anxious, although a lot of people do it very successfully. I did not, at the time, now maybe I'd feel differently, but at the time I found that difficult. Maybe that was part of me trying to control the situation to find my outcomes. But some people that I met had really successfully flown from the UK out to California in particular, where the surrogacy laws are perhaps one of the most developed in the world. Um, and basically work within an industry that felt very high standards, a lot of, you know, therapeutic oversight, a lot of fantastic medical care agencies whose sole job it is to make sure that everybody in that agreement is looked after. So I just felt that my integrity meant that that was what I wanted. But I had to raise, had to raise the money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had to kind of it's go very through expensive, that process. Yes. Yeah, it's it's not cheap, but mm -hmm. um that that the outcome of all that investigation that I did, very deep investigation into the medical circumstances meant that that led to the money that enabled me to, to actually go and fly to California. So it all basically led in that direction. I think it's, you know, if you believe in manifesting, mm -hmm. which I'd never heard of then, but I believe in now, um, I realized that a lot of what I did was manifesting. I believed I absolutely believed that I that I would get this. I envisaged my child. I didn't know I was going to have twins. I envisaged oh. that my child was coming, that they were on their way. And all I had to do was just keep going, keep moving forward, learning a little bit more every day, taking a little bit more action. And I mean, the path was anything but smooth. Mm -hmm. There was there was so many ups and downs. Like, I don't know if you remember the Icelandic volcano went off. Um, that was no. 10 or maybe in the US you didn't get as much coverage on this but there was a, a volcano which I couldn't pronounce because it had perhaps the longest name in existence and it was in Iceland and it exploded and it meant that ash an ash cloud filled the air and all European flights were grounded what? for like two weeks there wasn't a, there was not a plane in the sky and planes couldn't fly until the ash cloud cleared and this was at the exact time that I had been injecting myself with IVF meds and I was due to fly out to California to have my egg retrieval, which by the way, you can't delay or your like ovaries just 
cannot cope you have to it has to happen when it happens oh my and I was here going I can't fly to the states I don't know what to do I'm gonna have to find a clinic here that will harvest the eggs and cryo freeze them and send them to the states and all this stuff and then magically like a couple of days before our flights were due the ash cloud cleared and we flew and like things like this happened the whole way through it's- You know, I don't know if I'll ever think of a canceled flight the same after hearing that, because you always think, oh, it's just people getting like maybe to the next meeting. It's like, no, this could be something monumental where there's a perfect timing, like all of that. Oh, my gosh. All it's just I don't know why, but that just strikes me as I guess poignant, but how we just never realize what's happening all around us or what somebody else is going through. And, and something that seems so simple, a flight, missed yeah. flight, flights being yeah. rounded. Yeah, it's one of those things where you have to have perspective when people seemingly misbehave towards us. And it's such a nice filter to say, well, who knows what's going on in their lives and how much more dramatic it is than mine right now. So let's just try and be kind. And and maybe that person has no interest in actually telling you what's going on in their life, right? Like, that just because they're going through something does not mean that they feel a need to tell you, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the person that cuts you up on the freeway, or this yes. is the person that's rude to you in the store, or the person that pushes in front of you in the line. This is the people that, you know, if we allow those people to influence our mood, it's going to be really difficult. One of the best ways of doing that is to say, well, well, who knows what they're going through? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But this is a big one. I've said that so many times, but I don't think I've ever really thought that it could be something that big. Now, I'm also curious as far as the, your, the father of your, your eldest child, um, your ex-husband, when, when did you get to a point where you have the hindsight that you do now, right? Where it's like, listen, this, we were not meant to be long-term. This, this is good, right? This is actually the way it should be. You, you have this beautiful child together and it ended the the relationship between the two of you, but not as a family and raising your child together. But when did you have that understanding and that peace with it, I guess I would say? Well, I guess I was fortunate in that I met my husband, who I'm married to now, only a couple of years later. So I think when you're happy and you fall in love again, it's easier to let the past go. That's, you know, just my personal experience. But even from the offset after after he left, even though I personally was very embittered by the way that that had happened and it wasn't particularly pleasant, I always kept the door open so he could remain in contact with our daughter. I never let that, let my personal view about how he treated me cloud the relationship with our daughter. So I think that that was the, it was absolutely the right decision. He's now remarried, has a daughter the same age as my twins, lives five minutes up the road and we co-parent really happily. I really, really like his wife. We're, and my husband has always been very encouraging to make sure the relationships as smooth as possible. Even if over the years I've been a bit like, oh, I'm really annoyed by this. He'd be like, really, is it worth, is it worth ruining the relationship over? Ooh. Could you let that go? Isn't it better to just better, especially for our daughter? So, mm. you know, that's that's my my view on that. I think that when couples end up really embittered around the children, it's such a sad situation. And I was just lucky. I don't know how I avoided it, but I'm very grateful that I did. 
I was going to ask but, about you know, that because I, growing up, I had a, a few friends who, whose parents were divorced and, and one always sticks out in particular because we knew everything that, that her ex-husband did that she hated because she would tell us, she would tell her daughter and like, he was the bad guy and not surprising to me that friend had a horrible relationship with her father. And just as it was, as this will never, ever like leave my memory, but just as they started to kind of get a little closer in high school, he died. Oh, that's sad. And I always remember thinking how many years could she have actually had a relationship with her father if her mother hadn't treated her as the therapist or as like her buddy that she told all of the dirt to. Mm. And I think there's, there's an element of personal growth to this whole story though, because mm -hmm. Prior to when my daughter was born and I went through that trauma, I wasn't particularly in the world of self-development. But afterwards, mm -hmm. I started to look for meaning. I started to be a lot more open to all the different ways that, you know, we start to absorb that new messaging. And I think that being on that journey allowed me to have those sorts of thoughts and be more open-minded to also what mm -hmm. serves me. It's like, you know, to be upset embittered wasn't going to serve me either and to try and let things go a lot more and have more perspective on the bigger more important things in life and it was at that time that I went on the quest for finding meaning and purpose with my career as well so oh. I had realized that you know I had a year off maternity leave in the UK we're, we're quite blessed you get a whole year quite easily no problem do you really yeah but the whole of Europe does it's <laughs> or even more in some places yeah I, oh my gosh I didn't know that happened. sorry there's the, there's the bomb dropping Ooh, no bomb <laughs> we're lucky if we get three months wow yeah that shocked me absolutely shocks me but so I had I had a whole oh. year to kind of come through this without any pressure at all um wow. but then after that year I had to make a decision you know I've got to go back to work I kind of had to because now I was supporting my daughter mm. and you know I wasn't in that relationship but at the same time, um, I was thinking, what else could I do? And I went for a day's work experience as a teacher. I was like, I oh, know, I'm going to teach. And I, I just did Ooh. not get on in that environment. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> these kids, <laughs> these kids, are, you know, at a, at a secondary school, like a high school. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. This is, seems like much harder than going back to my corporate job. And, you know, I'd been in, in the advertising industry, uh, working as a business director, for, you know, I've been Aww. in the industry for, you know, 10, 15 years by this point. And I thought, well, look, there's no better place to go back to because I'm familiar with it. I'm accomplished at it. I have authority. I, my career is doing well. So it, it made sense. But I kind of felt like this wasn't the right path for me. And I still had to find something else. Mm. So you asked me at the beginning about, you know, how comes it took you 15 years? And it's such a good question because... The reality is, is that finding your purpose doesn't always happen overnight mm. and knowing what else you want to do and having the confidence to actually follow that path. You know, Tony Robbins, everyone's heard of Tony Robbins. Yep. He talks about burning your boats. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the biggest drawbacks I had is that I didn't for so long. I always had this fallback. And let's be honest, anybody that works in corporate, particularly for agencies and does client servicing, is kept pretty darn busy. It's not yep. like you've got the extra capacity to pursue other things. But mm -hmm. that said, I did reach a crisis point because, you know, after my twins were born, and this is another story, they were, um, they were born really premature. They were 29 weekers 
which oh, is gosh. like nearly three months early. So we missed their birth because we were in London and we didn't meet them till the next day after we flew out on a quick flight change. Ooh. But, um, you know, going through that experience as well of them, you know, the worry that you have when you have a premature baby and two premature babies in that situation, they were in the hospital for six weeks and we had to, you know, go through all of that. And then thank God they were, they were really well. They didn't suffer any ill effects of the prematurity. So we were incredibly blessed. Yeah. And then, you know, we had to fly them home to the UK. And when we arrived at the UK, they stopped us at Heathrow airport, a border control. And they told us that the babies didn't have the right to remain in the UK because they were considered US citizens. Much like I told you earlier, that the laws are different here. So even though they're genetically, mine and my husband's babies, and we had the American birth certificate with us named as their legal parents, because they were born with the help of a surrogate, they said they, they can't stay in the UK. And in what? the end, they let us stay for like, they let them stay for a week or two while we sorted it out. But we did, we sorted it out, we found an immigration lawyer, and eventually, about a year later, we found ourselves in the high courts, um, becoming recognized as their legal parents via the courts so wow. um, we wouldn't have that problem again right this is bananas it's this is yeah, it's so you right. need a movie and this is seriously a movie holy moly <laughs> but this, I, think, I think that was <laughs> i feel like if was, i was watching a movie i'm like gosh they're getting a little out of hand i mean can one person really go through all of this I was tired, Rosanna. I was I tired. I think, it. I think, I think it took me about a year to like get my mojo back after that. I was just so tired by this point. But I think it also gave me that extra impetus that was like, really, you need to find something else. And I actually managed to take three years out of my normal corporate job to look after the baby twins. Um, not least because childcare for twins and, you know, oh. part-time income, it didn't make sense. Plus, having gone through all of that to, you know, bring them into the world, I really wanted to be able to spend that time with them. But I also thought while I'm at home, gosh, I mean, three years, right? That's a long time. I can surely invent a new career in three years, right? Wrong. With twins? Anyone that's, yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't account for the fact that I'd be kept so busy, right? <laughs> Um, but I didn't find my way. And I came up with ideas. At one point, I had this idea of doing this like healthy uh, lunch thing that delivered to offices. And it's this idea that, you know, you just got to stay cognizant of opportunities mm -hmm. and problems you can solve. Yeah, I saw a problem, which was that my husband was taking these, these really healthy vegan lunches that I made for him into the office. And everyone was saying, where did you get that? And how can I get me one? I'm spending twice as much of that on terrible food. And that yes. was amazing. So I toyed with that idea and I didn't pursue it. I just found it too hard. You know, mm. oh, well, how would I do that? How would I organize the infrastructure? And I think that part of becoming an entrepreneur is overcoming those sort of early onset barriers. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, you know, a couple of years ago, um, I realized that actually coaching was something that I was really interested in. I love the whole mentoring aspect within my role in the advertising agency. And then it all came together last year where I suddenly realized it was like this revelation that just dropped out of the sky for me which was that all those years experience in business and in marketing 
and my newfound, well, not that new, but my love of serving and purpose and being heart centered Mm -hmm. meant that I could perfectly pivot into business coaching for entrepreneurs, coaches, course creators, which literally I was like, I can do this. And so I did. And now I'm running my business coaching other coaches, course creators, so they can build their businesses. So we can formulate their business strategy, give them the tools that they need in that first year. And I'm lit up. I love doing it. And I won't ever look back. It's it's worked out full circle. And it's it's something that I'm so, so proud of and just enjoy every day. Now, with that, what are some of the, you mentioned common with, with entrepreneurs, you know, like thinking it's too hard or not knowing how to figure it out or not being sure how you'd figure out the logistics of something. Is that something that you see a lot with the coaches that you work with as well? Even though it that may not be the same as like, you know, a food delivery system, I imagine there's a lot of intricacies to starting a coaching business as well that could be very overwhelming. Absolutely. I mean, it falls into two camps. You've got your own mindset blocks and barriers, and then you've Mm -hmm. got skill blocks and barriers, which Mm -hmm. are around actually understanding the strategy. So when I work with my clients, we tend to span both. So for example, something that often blocks particularly new entrepreneurs is a fear of being visible, of not being good enough. And it can Mm -hmm. manifest in not being confident to charge your worth, not really feeling good about appearing in your social media or how to promote yourself. And it's incredible how much people hold themselves back seemingly with other problems like, oh, I can't work out the tech, which is another matter. But really the tech isn't the problem because if you wanted help with the tech, you can get help. But the problem Mm -hmm. is you actually didn't want to show up because of your own insecurities. Mm -hmm. And the quicker and often with help that you can overcome those and understand that you can move forward, you'll find things speed up incredibly. Mm -hmm. And then the, the other side of it, that you, you just mentioned is, you know, actually understanding how to. And with business strategies for, for new entrepreneurs, coaches, it's no different to any industry. You have to learn the ropes. You mm-hmm. can't just decide overnight, oh, you know, I think I'll be a coach. Where's my clients? How do I do this then? Oh, hang on a minute. Well, the whole world's online now. And, mm-hmm. you know, whereas in the past, perhaps you could coach in your community. And perhaps if you're in, a, in an area where that still works, it's possible. But the opportunities and the acceptance now to have an online business and speak to people all over the world to help people and serve people no matter where they are means that we really have to learn to use online as a business tool and, you know, there are certain standard steps that you have to go through to, to really smash that, which I'm obsessed by and I love helping my clients do. Oh, that's so fun. I, it's funny you said the tech because that was definitely one of the barriers for me with the podcast for years. I had a microphone. I bought a microphone probably four years ago. Um, the one that I'm using now, actually. And I had started the process. And I honestly don't remember what it was. I don't remember the real reason I stopped. But I do remember that part of my my excuse was, I don't, I can't figure out the tech. But once I decided to do it, again, there was nothing I couldn't YouTube. It was like, I don't know why I let that be the, again, the quote unquote barrier for so long when that wasn't the bigger issue. Now, being nervous about it, announcing it to people and I think the thing that I'm most uncomfortable with still is when people, when people ask me about it, if they don't know about it, because I don't, there's this part of me that's like, who are you to do this? 
what, how do you explain to somebody that you feel like you have a right to start your own essential talk show? You know, where does that come from and why, what are you trying to do? And it's like, I just knew I was supposed to do it. And I don't know if that's going to resonate with people, but I've known for the longest time I was supposed to. So I just did. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. When I started my podcast, I had a lot of similar thoughts. Who am I to do this? What on earth have I got to say that's going to be a value? How can I do this every single week? Have I really got that much to say? Who's going to listen? And also like coming out of corporate, the fear that people from my old life are going to listen in and judge me. It's all mm-hmm. like a feeling of being judged. What will they think? Like, do I like, I don't have a right to do this. Who do I think I am? You know, and whether that's people from former jobs or relatives, friends, old school friends, we all carry this fear of being judged, which can hold us back so much from being visible, from taking chances and kind of just being who we want to be professionally as well as personally. Yes. Well, and I will say being, I think part of what helped was leaving my old career for 12 years because my job in that, in that role was outside sales, like I said, but essentially I was a, a cog in a larger purpose. And the purpose and the ones that I felt were really valued in the company were the big sales owners, the ones who owned our agencies. And they would have these meetings and, you know, they were, they were the ones that were doing these inspirational messages and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, no, no, no. My job is just in PR and is to like, like, it's not my job to share my story. My job is to make sure that they're getting the business that they need. My job is to generate business for them to do the amazing stuff. And being out of that, it was when it was really easy to just say like, okay, you know what? Some of them are probably going to judge me because it's like, you were just our PR girl. Who, why do you have a podcast? You haven't overcome anything like our, our agency owners have. And it's like, no, I still have a story. And I didn't start it with the intention of sharing that much of my story. It was actually just to talk to other people. One of the things that really helped is I did two episodes within the first 10 that were just me speaking. And I didn't expect much to come from it, but those were the ones that I got the most responses from those were the ones that people reached out to me and were like, Oh my God, I feel the same. And I was like, Oh, also, so maybe I I can have something to say and people will listen, even though I don't have the image of what I thought people would want to, to listen to or would resonate with. A hundred percent. That resonates a lot with me as well. It's like, we think that we have to be the finished article. We have to be as good as, some of our idols out there before we would have a right to even take that first step. And actually like you, I'm finding the opposite is true for me, for my clients, for almost everybody that I talk to within my new industry, which is that you only need to be two steps ahead really in order to have something extremely valuable to teach. Mm. And in fact, to resonate, you just have to be yourself, be authentic and share. And if you can start where you are, and just accept the fact that this is your first chapter. It doesn't mean that you have to have a finished book and you don't have to be 20 steps ahead in order to start your podcast, to launch your new business, coach your first client, to share your first post, to go live on Instagram, you know, all of these things, to start an email list and send an email every week. You just have to show up and start where you are. And really everything else grows from there. And that's the, that's that bold first step that can change everything as it did for me. And I'm sure it has for you. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what would be, so let's say somebody's listening and prior to this, it's never even occurred to them to be an entrepreneur, but something, and they don't quite know what is like poking at them during this conversation. 
But again, they're where you were and where I was like, I don't even know what I would do. What would you, what advice would you give them to move them in the direction? Yeah, well, that's something that was really helpful for me is that theory of Ikagai, the Japanese piece that talks about finding your purpose. And yeah. if you picture, if you picture Venn diagrams, actually, mm-hmm. if you're watching this on your video, I can hold that up. Oh, there's good. a diagram of Ikagai. And if you picture a Venn diagram where you've got four circles, one is stuff that you love. The other is what the world needs. The third one is what you can be paid for. And the final circle is what you're good at. Right in the center is Ikagai. And that is something that I worked really, really hard on with Kathy Heller's help, who I know you heard me on her podcast initially. Um, she really introduced me to this concept, which made me think, well, what am I good at? But what are people going to pay me for? What does the world really need? What can I literally do that lights me up? Mm-hmm. Which is obviously my corporate job. I was like, well, where does that sit? Well, let's see. Well, the world needs it. I guess someone's got to do it. They're definitely paying me for it. I'm good at it. Well, I've been doing the job nearly 20 years. You'd think that I'd be good at it. But the missing piece was what I love. And it didn't light me up and it was sucking my soul and the whole culture just every year, it was harder and harder. So for me, I was looking for something that tipped all four boxes. And I didn't get it right first time. The thing that I want to want to say, don't think just because you had an idea and it didn't work out, that that's it because I sort of looked at that and I was thinking initially I'm going to be a parenting coach because I've got something to say and I wanted to talk about the difficulties of being an alpha corporate woman in parenting which you know for me really resonated and and when I started talking about it a lot of women leant forward and they were going oh I'm listening Mm -hmm. because being a corporate alpha type and having children to nurture you're not automatically switching between those roles and it can lead you to being less compassionate in the home than you should be. And that was something that I've had to work on over the years. Being driven and direct is, a well, it's a wonderful thing if you're working in a patriarchal society, but it's not so helpful when you want to nurture your babies. And I just thought, yeah, maybe this is for me. Like I still, you can tell by the passion as I'm talking about it, I believe there's a need for it. But I did learn that it wasn't something that I was born to teach. In actual fact, I'm still very much a student. So I loved the area, but the point is, is that you can have multi-passions and different ideas and you've just got to get out there and try them and test them in a small way. You can simply reach out in a Facebook group that's you know full of people who are in that area and ask some questions, even say, I'd love to talk to you. You know, perhaps I can help just free, just a chat, just a conversation about to see what what people's problems are and to ask yourself, how can I solve their problem? Now, I say this not just in an altruistic way. Look, many of us do want to serve and we do want to do great things in the world, which means helping people. But if you consider any business, any corporation in the world They're solving problems and that's why they get paid. Even if those problems are manufactured in the perception of the buyers. And the thing is, is that people have problems. They have Mm -hmm. confidence problems. They have skill set problems. They have problems building their business, being parents. They have problems finding um, great cakes to buy. They have problems eating vegan. Like the the list is absolutely infinite. But if you can find a problem and find the people that you want to solve that problem for, 
there's a business there for you. The wheels are turning. <laughs> because when I started this, it's funny, when I started the podcast at first, I was like, it's only going to be about women and for women because that's it. That's what resonated. And then within like two episodes, I interviewed two gentlemen and I was like, okay, maybe it's not going to be that. And one thing that for the month of March, I was doing this, um, I am doing this Soul Shaker series in honor of International Women's Day. So every day there's a different message, whether it's, you know, a message for myself to a, a younger version of myself or to something I just wish a little girl would hear, you know? Um, and in the course of it, I realized like, I want to do more of that. I want to have more of those conversations. And one thing that's really stood out to me that I always struggled with is how to advocate for myself. Like if you are not one of those people who's just naturally like, this is how it is. And I am, and I'm so unapologetic. Like I I'm not like that. And I'm more so that than I was 10 years ago, but advocating from yourself for yourself from a place of lower self-confidence or still being in process is difficult. And it's something that I see a lot of women go through, but knowing I'm not at a place where I could coach on that. Right. But I want to find people and bring them onto the podcast who can speak to that because I just think so much of what we go through could be, I don't know, solved, but at least we could work on if we had more confidence, if we had a way to learn how to strengthen our own voice. That's beautiful. And also you've, you've made a good point, which is that there are different business models out there and it's becoming increasingly common and popular to be a curator and have a business that curates content for others, content that's close to your heart and interests you and creating memberships, creating you know groups, masterminds, opportunities for people to really move beyond their limits, but by bringing in other people. You're not the expert, you're the conduit. You're the mm -hmm. person that creates connections and outcomes, even if you're not the one who's actually providing all of the education, training and information. And the most beautiful thing as well is that of course you can progress with your own journey and be paid to do it. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of people out there doing just that really successfully. Well, there's another option out there then. <laughs> what would be, so we're, we're at time, what is, is there any final word that you'd want to impart or something that's on your heart that you'd want to say? I, and I don't know what it might be, something that you're just, I would like to say one more thing. What would that be? Yeah, I think sort of listening to our conversation today, the thing that strikes me most is that even when things might seem impossible, mm -hmm. they are not. That you just have to take one step forward. And that was my experience. I didn't know the how. I couldn't be sure that things would work out for the better, but I did trust. And I had faith in myself, in the universe to just take that next step. And incredibly enough steps added together can become a tremendous journey. And that's where, what I've experienced. And looking back, I couldn't be happier about everything that happened, which I never thought that I'd hear myself say. <laughs> <laughs> Given those experiences, yeah, I'm sure. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and, and your wisdom because you, you planted a number of seeds in myself. So I, I hope that other people, I'm sure there are seeds planted with listeners, but I, I'm very grateful for the ones that you planted with me. Oh, it's been a pleasure um, being on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Um, if anybody wants to drop in and say hi, they can find me on Instagram. My handle is Ingram. And is there a website that they could go to as well or... Would you yeah, my website Instagram? is www. 
I am joeingram.com and my podcast is called Action Taker Tribe. Okay, I will have links to both, well, all three of those in the show notes. Awesome, thank you. Thank you. Hi guys, so like I mentioned, I definitely have links to Joe's website, her podcast, and her Instagram and the show notes, but I really, really want to encourage you to go to her website. I personally downloaded one of her free guides, Are You a Corporate Mom Looking for More? And no, I'm not a mom, but it's just, I was very intrigued by it. Really great guide. And you can't beat the fact that it's free. So highly encourage you to go to her website, click on it in the show notes and go check Joe out, connect with her. And I hope that this episode really resonated with you. And if you think it will resonate with somebody in your life who needs to hear anything that Joe said, share it with them. Give the gift of empathy and understanding. Maybe you don't know exactly what they're going through, but if she does, then let them hear her story because you never know what that could do for them in their day and heck in their life. So, and if you enjoyed this episode, again, I'm going to ask, please leave a written review. I would be forever grateful. All right. With that, I will see you next week.